and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions. Very excited. I have another special guest today. It's always great bringing on other people, other professionals. Today, we're specifically talking about trauma, healing, and resilience. And I've got Patricia Morgan with me today. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology. She works with organizations and individuals who want to strengthen their everyday resilience. She provides bite-sized nuggets of insight to help people emerge stronger after facing unthinkable challenge. Patricia's books include From Woe to Wow, How Resilient Women Succeed at Work, and the Canadian bestseller, Frantic Free, 167 Ways to Lighten Up and Calm Down. Patricia was named a Woman of Vision by Global TV and is a recipient of the Spirit of Caps, the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, for her contribution to the Canadian speaking industry. Patricia is often referred to as a spunky seniorpreneur. She's an author, speaker, a therapist, mother to three, grandmother to five, great-grandma to two, and she's happily married most days. Very excited to have Patricia here. I gained a lot of insight chatting with her, and I hope you enjoyed the episode as well. Well, thank you so much, Patricia, for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you on Overpowering Emotions podcast. My pleasure. And there seems to be a bit of a delay. So for people listening and watching, there there is a little bit of delay between us. So uh, if there's pauses, I'll try to edit them out, but just in case there are, that's what's going on. So first of all, Patricia, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Right. I'm in Canada. Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And here I have uh, several activities for this spunky senior. I would say the number one is I'm a uh, therapeutic counselor with a master's degree in clinical psychology. And during COVID, my practice significantly increased. I'm also a professional speaker here in North America on the subject of resilience. I've written a few books. Uh, the first one was about my daughter and our journey with her in the family. We adopted her at age six. We were her fifth family, and we did not know that she lived with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So that was my first book, Love Her As She Is, Lessons from a Daughter Stolen by Addictions. And Fast forward to 2022, and my husband and I are part-time caregivers supporting uh, in areas of her life that she needs some uh, support, some uh, parachuting, some uh, interventions to uh, have her at her best to function. Yeah. So the, wow, what a challenge. I've, I've actually worked with a lot of kiddos uh, with fetal alcohol. And I can just imagine the emotion regulation challenges, just all the executive functioning challenges that kind of go along with that. So I imagine lots of work, I mean, just in terms of informing your own clinical work and the, and the lessons learned. And did you find at all just how you work with parents in, I don't know if you work with parents at all, or if you only work with adults. I should have asked that first. <laughs> it's okay. Primarily, I work with adults doing parts work or inner child work. And that's my story. So I thought I was God's gift to children. I was an early childhood educator and suggested to my husband that we didn't need to be procreating children that we could adopt somebody who needed a home and from your knowing you would imagine what it would be like to not have a diagnosis 
to be told that you couldn't possibly be providing logical consequences in a, an effective manner. Otherwise, this child wouldn't be acting out. So there was a lot of parent blame and a lot of confusion that went on from the time we adopted at age six till when she left home and started feeling more comfortable actually in the world of uh, drug and addiction. So, uh, you know, we know so much more now about fetal alcohol and that consequences don't work. Now I was, because I was an early child educator for a number of years, I also provided parent education for a fair bit. And I've written a little book called Gag Your Nagging, How to Better Communicate. And another little book is called The, the Lighthearted Approach, How to Be an Upbeat Parent. However, mm -hmm. I, I have a belief that when we're struggling to parent the best we can, we are being distressed by our past into behaviors that don't serve ourselves or our family. And so I believe that a healed mother and father makes for a more emotionally safe environment for children. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more of the work that you do, you know, looking at that inner child and, and just talking about trauma and healing and resilience. Let's ah. dive into that a little bit. <laughs> right. So um, let's start with the definition of resilience. Resilience is the capacity to stay steady or to bounce back from challenge, distress, loss, change, poor behavior of other people, poor behavior of children, and perhaps poor behavior of yourself. So it tends to be um, a collection of tools from positive psychology, stress management, and any other form of healing. Because really, you can't demonstrate resilience if you are dysregulated, right? Uh, you're busy, when you're dysregulated, exactly. being triggered into a trauma response, you really aren't present to the moment. You've been pulled back to the past. Now, the, the difference between um, stress, distress, and trauma. So we all need a little bit, excuse me a second. I all want a little bit of stress a little bit of challenge, a little bit of stretch. Otherwise, life ends up being kind of meaningless and you know, boring. So we need some times to rest. We need some times to just be still. But if we stay there day after day, we don't have a life of meaning. So we want to have a little challenge. I bet you you've had a job where it got to be boring and you wanted something more challenging. But the problem is if we keep saying, yes to the challenges and stretch, 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 stress, 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 we can snap, crack, or break. Uh, unlike a rubber band that goes in the garbage, we can put our hand up and say we need help. So I have snap, cracked, and braked, broken, felt broken a number of times, and getting help to get back on the road is fine. So that's, that's stress, and distress is when you've got too much stress, and trauma is getting triggered into a very distressing event that happened in the past that did not get completion. So, so the, the cycle of the amygdala firing and the fight, flight, defend, or collapsing and then getting back on track did not happen. 
So I like to use uh, the analogy or example of a car accident. I've helped three people who after car accidents for a number of years would not get in a car. They were in a car accident. So is it, why is it that one person is in a car accident and a week later, the car is repaired and they're back on the road and somebody else three years later refuses to get on, on a, something with wheels other than maybe a bicycle, right? So what's the difference? Well, I've been, I've been in a couple accidents over my, over the years and I get into the, the very shaky, freeze, distressed state. I go home and I'm still shaking and I shake and it feels safe to shake. And then I might burst into tears. And my husband says, we can replace the car, honey. We can't replace you. Maybe I have a nightmare that night. And then the next morning he checks in and says, how are you doing? Might have another little, another little cry. And then maybe gently he supports me getting in the car. Now, the people that I've supported who didn't get in the car had a, created a phobia to getting in the car. All of that processing got swallowed, got frozen in time. And so anytime they thought, even thought about getting in a car, they get triggered into trauma. So trauma signals for it are avoidance, uh, heart rate, and all of the uh, flight, fight symptoms of you're in danger happen just by seeing, some, seeing something or being reminded of something that had to do with that past event. So it's the nervous system uh, blocks the, the, the closure. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. And we know that the memory stores for traumatic yes. events are different than normal memories. And so it is, it's being stored differently, processed differently. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, even some of those associations can be so irrational. I talk about that a lot in my podcast, where like my dad, for example, has PTSD and a chocolate bar wrapper could be a trigger, even yes. though the chocolate bar wrapper didn't hurt anyone, didn't cause any pain or anything, but yes. our brain just makes those really illogical associations, which sometimes for some people can be really confusing, frustrating, especially support people who are trying to get that person back in the car, right? And right. it could be a song that comes on the radio that happened to be playing and big panic attack. So yeah, right. that, that definitely makes sense. Yes. So yes. working even a with smell, those even individuals, a pardon me, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even the smell, anything, right. That triggers that it could be a smell, a, a sight, a color for, for my mom, left turns. She would do left <laughs> turns for, for years and years, ah. right. Because that it was the left turn that was associated with accident, even though it, you know, she happened to be turning left, but it wasn't the left turn that, that created the accident. Right. It's very right. rational. So how do you help those, those individuals, you know, where the, okay. they haven't had that chance to process? What do you do? Well, then you, you make it emotionally safe for them to replay. And if their body needs to shake, you support the body needs shaking. If they need to yell and scream, I'm not safe. You, so you, you do a, it's kind of like a replay. There's um, different different trauma 
processes. I'm trained in what's called EMDR, yeah. which has become a gold standard of uh, treating trauma. Um, I'm also trained in finding joy trauma treat treatment technique, which is an offshoot. There's many offshoots now of EMDR. Uh, there's a, a therapy called exposure therapy where you slowly expose the person. And uh, I've had some success with that where a woman who would not drive, we, she looked at a picture of a car and then next step was to go and look at a car. And then she, the next step was she sat in the driver's seat but she didn't start the car, you know, so piece by, by piece, noticing your breathing and telling yourself a new story. So the new story replaces the old story. I do want to mention about complex trauma, sometimes known as childhood trauma, can be very different because what we just described here with the car accident is a, a one incident event. But, you know, research now says that repeated neglect of a child builds complex trauma. And so it's very fuzzy to identify it. It's more complicated to identify it. So treatments in uh, going into that world again is, is the somatic. It may not make a whole lot of sense that when you feel something and your body is shifting, there may be a whole story in there that's unconscious. You know, the car accidents, usually people know what happened uh, and it, it's faster to bring to closure. I had a woman come who saw that I had a creatures that I use often online when I do presentations online and she said it really bothered her. She felt an emotional trigger seeing fake eyes. And so we removed my puppets oh. and my dolls that I use in my environment here into the closet. And I, she, I said, do you want to move them or do you want me to do them? She said, oh, oh you do it, right? So um, now that was just a visit with somebody that was interested in speaking. It wasn't even a therapy session. So we didn't get under it, but I am still curious, curious, curious about that. And you know, good therapist comes from a place of first creating emotional safety and then getting curious. We don't necessarily have the answers at all. Um, but much of what comes up that doesn't make sense for us has to do with a past distressing event that got stuffed. I'll never forget taking a training and there was a video shown of a woman who insisted on doing everything herself. Now, it could be a big problem as she gets older and needs to be assisted in different ways. But anything she could do herself, she insisted on doing it herself. And she uh, was supported in going in what we call a float back, floating back to this feeling that comes up for you, that you feel out of control and you have this big urge to be in control. Let's see if we can follow that, like being in an elevator and going backwards or watching a video and going backwards in your life, backwards, backwards, backwards. And how young can you go? And she got to somewhere under three, three years older under 
and she was in a playpen and her finger got caught somewhere in the mechanism of the playpen and her mother was busy vacuuming and her mother couldn't hear her screams and her yells and she decided doesn't matter how much pain I'm in I'll have to look after myself so sometimes these decisions get made just like that you know and that becomes a lifetime pattern other other times it is uh, repeated either neglect or abuse from a parent so I used to be called uh, my mother me used to be called by my father you stupid females and I integrated that unconsciously I failed grade seven I dropped out of high school I took my first university class at the age of 30 terrified just terrified that it would be found out how stupid I am uh, and I started therapy also when I was 30 and so that was an interesting interesting journey to go on that these beliefs about ourselves when an adult says you are it's like God speaks and then your the, the you are becomes you are becomes I am so I had this little big sign you are stupid you know so labels and you know we can go into all kinds of dysfunctional thinking uh, but we want to be careful with one another about saying you are I find that that line so destructive that somebody declares who you are when we're such multifaceted human beings so true and even sometimes the positive things you're so smart you're mm -hmm. so smart and then they think and then they get a c on something and it's like oh, i must not be smart because it's associated with the outcomes versus the effort and the attempt and yeah all those labels right what happens to somebody when they grow up being told you are so pretty you are so beautiful you are so pretty you are so beautiful and then they they have they become a burn victim or they become uh paralyzed or you know, we got to be careful where we land our value system on other people. So how do you manage then, you know, if, if you're, you can do a little bit of exposure therapy for that one-off, you know, there was a very specific pinpoint, uh, mm -hmm. you know, car accident that we can address versus this complex trauma. What would differ and I mean a lot of the I do have some parents who listen to my podcast but it's also a lot of mental health professionals and mm -hmm. doctors and educators as well so we've got quite a wide range but right. what would you do to whether you're a parent or a mental health professional you know a, a, a approach that complex trauma and, and help support their resilience right well I I have a preference for inner child work which is basically called parts work there's several several books written about it um one is called easy ego state interventions by uh, francine shapiro dr richard schultz is getting to be fairly well known worldwide for his work in parts and it's called his book is called no bad parts and it's written for the lay public and a number of years ago, I think in the 1970s, 1980s, we had an author from the United States called John Bradshaw. And John Bradshaw talked and wrote a lot about inner child, inner child work. 
Also, the uh, parent and family researcher, Jean Elsley Clark, wrote a book called Growing Up Again, and it talks about reparenting ourselves and the affirmations that you need as an infant, as a toddler, as a preschooler, as a school-age child, and then as youth. And she has affirmations that all children need at those developmental stages. So it's based on uh, Bowlby's and uh, Bowen's uh, developmental stages, but it's all mapped out for you. And she gives indicators of what developmental stage you may not have get, given the messages to fully develop on that stage. And then what activities and, and messages that you can ask your loved ones to, to give you. So for example, uh, an infant needs to get the message. Messages come in the way our tone of voice, not just words, tone of voice, how we touch, uh, and what happens to us. So an infant needs the message that you are welcome in this world. So I, I recall a man that was discovered by a couple of therapists who was homeless. And he'd been homeless up till the age of about his mid thirties. And they found his mother. And there was an interview with the mother asking what happened at his birth because he he did not feel welcomed in the world. He felt like he was an alien in this world. And as it turned out, that mother was raped as a young, young woman, she was raped. And she had a dreadful time looking at a penis, changing his diaper, she was a single parent mom. And he got the message that he wasn't welcome in this world and eventually became homeless. And then they showed him two months later, shaven and dressed and functioning in a very different way because his mother ended up you know, crying and that wasn't her intention and there was healing done. It was a very beautiful moving uh, video that uh, I witnessed uh, one time in my, uh, my journey. And I see the, the, this befriending your inner child over and over again. I have one client of mine who she's, she says, I rock the baby when she gets anxious and she's going to say something or do something that perhaps she will regret. She imagines her baby self and she, she does, she'll do this even at a party and, she, and it's her signal, rock the baby. I'm uh, there's a grown up available. It's like we're upgrading our wiring that we don't get caught back in that distressed event that's turned into trauma and that we remind ourselves oh that's just my older self that didn't have didn't have control didn't have a choice and wasn't emotionally safe that i'm in a different place now and so it's like the grown-up self is having a conversation with the other parts that just did the best they could to cope. And then we often develop other parts of us that are coping mechanisms, protective parts of us, such as self-criticism or self-put down. You know, nobody's, nobody's gonna put me down be, until I put myself down first. <laughs> right? But I love pic a picture. If you can pull out a picture of yourself as a, as a little child and say, what happened to you 
that really wasn't fair, that really wasn't empowering, that really wasn't supportive. And that's one of the ways to discover if you've got some childhood complex trauma going on, on in you. We have a Dr. Gabor Maté here in Canada who has coined a, a phrase that says there's two kinds of people. There's people who know they have trauma and there's people who don't know they have trauma. And then another Canadian who's moved to the United States has written a book with Oprah. I don't know if you've heard about this book. It's called What Happened to You? And it's encouraging people to not say what's wrong with you, but to say what happened to you. It's um, uh, Oprah, as you know, perhaps Carolyn, Oprah Winfrey asks very good questions. She has a reputation for being very healthy and curious. And this book just came out last year. It's a very helpful book. Also, the founder, if you're interested in reading, the founder of EMDR, Francine Shapiro, before she died a couple years ago, wrote a book called Get past your past. In it, she lays out a number of exercises you can do to explore your past. Those are great. And I will make sure in the show notes, I list all of the books that you've mentioned <laughs> here today, because I think that that's going to be really valuable for everyone. I just wonder, you know, once you, you help someone understand, okay, I am traumatized. I do have all of this history. What's the next step? Where do you go from there? Self-help books are a really good beginning. I don't think I mentioned uh, Dr. Richard Schultz's book, No Bad Parts. It's called No Bad mm, Parts. It's, yeah. it, 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 become aware that's 50% 50, 50 of the, the way there, right? And it's very hard when you're in the pickle jar to see you're pickled. Mm. So... There's group therapy, there's individual therapy, uh, there's psychologists, practicing social workers. Um, I mean, if you can't control your life at all, sometimes people need a little kickstart with some medication. If you can um, get so that you are able to calm yourself down with a few tools, that is helpful. I'm just about finished an ebook that talks about how to manage your nervous system. So doctors, are you familiar, Carolyn, with the work of Dr. Stephen Porges who's come out with the polyvagal theory? Yes, uh, yeah, right. yeah, I love his work. Right, well, mm -hmm. I, I started mapping people's nervous systems. So the high, when we get triggered, we either go into high, high energy state, which is that sympathetic state of fright, flight, or defend, or we collapse into like a give up state, which is a dorsal vagal. We don't need to know the medical terms, terms. but um, I've had good luck. I've mapped 30 or so of my clients, showing them when certain situations happen, do they go into that charged state or do they go into a collapse state? And I, I said to a couple of them, I'll just make you a list of what you can do to calm down, put the brakes on the charged, which is like anxiety, and add some energy to the give up place or depressed, you know, lift it up a bit. And anyway, I copy and pasted and I ended up with pages of, 
ideas. So to calm down is breathing, breathing. And as my client does, walks her baby and breathes, right? And that's when she gets too charged. That's good for anger management, anxiety, uh, the tendency to want to flee. And you, and really it would be, if you had your grown-up pants on, you would stay present, right? So bringing yourself back, the prefrontal cortex intact so that I can be present. Um, so even uh, if you've got somebody who stays pretty well grounded and present and is able to make meaningful connection, you can, I've seen, I've heard, I've had some friends do this. I've done this myself with my husband is to, is to set up a little bit of healing in your own home. And that is uh, if you hear my voice going up or if you start to see me moving into um, like my fist clench, let's have a little signal for me to take some breaths, contact whatever's going on inside with my inner child. And I should qualify that the inner child symbol or image of an inner child represents your emotional self, your nervous system and your emotional intelligence or workings. That's all it really means. It gives it more, more of a concrete visual for those. It works very, very well for those people who are visual. What are some of those strategies if people are in the dorsal, right? The give up sort of mode to be able to energize them. Number one strategy is to connect with somebody. I, I've, uh, during COVID, oh, right. I had a couple people that were so deeply into that, into that state, they could hardly speak, could hardly open their mouth. So if you, uh, basic is having a distress line, phone number near your phone, as well as three names of people that you feel emotionally safe with, and you call them, putting on some, some television, just, it has to be gentle. We can't, the, it's such slow motion. We want to add a little bit of energy. If you've got a favorite song, you can possibly hum. The, the last thing we want people doing when they're in the, that depressed dorsal vagal is to do deep breathing. <laughs> The, the deep breathing is when you're in the, you know, you're charged and angry and you're impulsive and anxiety is coming up. That's when you want to do the deep grounded breathing. Um, and we want people living and, and working and functioning primarily in the window of being centered in in that place of you know normalcy where we can make where we can make connection so when we're either uh in an anxiety state fight fight or defend <laughs> we're not really present and when we're collapsed we're not really present either so we can't make we can't make connection so connection is the antidote particularly for the collapsed give up um dorsal state Deb, Deb Dana's book, Deb Dana's book has 50 exercises for therapists to do with their clients based on the polyvagal theory. 
Yeah, that's a great book. I have that one. Oh, you have that one. Uh, so looking at, I do. Yes, it's very good. Uh, looking at some of the strategies, I mean, a lot of listeners, they might be therapists themselves, but they also might be parents. Or if we just happen to have parents, you know, maybe they've had their own trauma. Gabor Mate talks about how trauma can be trans transferred down the generation. But what can the adults do who are maybe working on their own selves, whether they've had trauma in their own lives, but they are working on their own emotion regulation, their own resilience, what are some things maybe that they could be doing or being aware of just to prevent the, I mean, epigenics aside, just not doing anything to maintain trauma or maintain anxiety and challenges in their own children? Do you have any ideas and if not that's okay too oh yeah yeah so um bedtime bedtime rituals are very very important and uh one of the things that you can do after tucking them in reading a bedtime story there's a couple practices that you can do that will help uh, minimize what we want to do is take the any distress of the day and let it go so doing, doing let's say, a simple massage and just saying, where, where would you like some extra attention in your body and letting go of, of the tension? Another one is creating for them a image of an angel or a guardian watch that they can take to school and other places to keep, keep an eye on them. Another one, so that's bedtime, those couple ideas for bedtime. At supper time, I think it's very important for families to get back to eating with the television off during mealtimes and sharing the best event of the day and the worst event of the day. I think we need to check in with one another daily, right? And the phrase, tell me more. Tell me more about that. And it can be tell me more about the best event of the day, as well as what was the worst event of the day, and keeping keeping an eye on that, and giving uh, expansion of a feeling vocabulary, and not shutting kids down when they are having whatever they're feeling, right? Uh, we put boundaries and guidelines around how they speak and how they behave, but how they feel should always be validated and tell me more about that. And kids don't have a feeling vocabulary until we give them a feeling vocabulary. And all a feeling word is, is a description of what's going on internally. So you can certainly start asking kids, so what's going on inside you? And you can start to notice also and translating their physicality. So I see a tear. I see a tear. Tell me more about the tear. And then you say, oh, well, might you be feeling hurt? Oh, oh, it sounds more like, oh, you're feeling sad. Oh, you've got a loss. So that's more like grieving, grieving. sadness, so that we start having a feeling vocabulary so that we can express it and know what's going on. You're going to treat feeling hurt very different than you're going to address sadness from grieving, right? 
there's different solutions. And I say feelings tell you everything about your values, what you want, what you don't want, uh, where you want to be, who you feel safe with, who you don't feel safe with. And but they don't tell you anything about how to manage other people or the world. They just tell you all about you. So many people get lost in just taking in data about how to how to get what they want out here. Uh, and then they lose track of what is it that's going on inside me. So I uh, like instructing people to know that sadness is just a message in the body that's an emptiness that says I don't have what I want. That could be my grandma. Hurt is, <laughs> hurt is a message that often is in the heart. Well, it's good to have different phys physical locations. It's a message of the heart that says what, what I wanted and valued was taken away from me. So maybe the next door neighbor isn't letting me play with their little kid anymore. My best friend. Because the, mom, the two moms had a big fight. You've probably run into these situations, Carolyn, right? all the time yeah yeah and nobody's yeah, listening absolutely. to that little kid and yeah and he's feeling is you know feeling feeling really hurt he's lost what was important to him and scared is uh scared is this shakiness in the body scared fear and it's the message that i'm at risk of losing what i want and value right so i might see a car almost hit my little my little brother or little sister and I start to get all scared or somebody's grabbing my precious toy and going to, I'm scared they're going to break it. So scared or is just, or fear is a message that what I value is as at risk. Now I, I say, you know, if you're in a part and you're in a relationship and you start to get scared that there's a big bad storm out and your loved one isn't home yet, that's a good message that your partner is very precious to you. But if you're imagining that your partner won't come home and you're really happy, <laughs> that's a relationship to get out of. Because happy tells you that you've got what you want. Mm -hmm. It's high energy. Yeah. You know? Emotions are very powerful. Yeah, and everything's right. light. light light so we can really emotions emotions are the body sensations feelings are the words we put on emotions by the way Brene Brown another book <laughs> has released a book called Atlas of the Heart and she explores the nuances of a range of emotions and also there's a series that you can watch I'm not sure whether it's on Netflix or where it's on in your part of the world I've got that one that right there too I love Brene Brown as well what? so yeah great great recommendations and I love all of those practical strategies I talk a lot and, and love using dinner time uh being able to even have emotion cards and emotion wheels being able to check in how are you feeling or how did you feel in that situation look at the card or the wheel give you some of that vocabulary build your emotional yes. literacy right. drop into the body because so many kids especially but even adults are so disconnected from their body I'm like what does it feel like that don't know it feels like sadness i'm like but what does that are just so disconnected they they just can't 
figured that out. And kids, they'll say I'm calm, but they don't actually know what calm feels like in their body. So I love your ideas too about massage and just being able to pair that word calm with what that calmness actually feels like in the body. Because I think people get so normalized, children and adults alike, they get so normalized that tension becomes, isn't that normal? Aren't aren't we always supposed to feel tense in our bodies, right? And just right. feeling over aroused. So I think that all of those strategies are, are great practical things that people can be doing right away. Yeah. So sorry, yeah, sorry we, have to, to we have to watch out when, when depression and anxiety and being um, triggered gets to be normal. And we need to spend more time in places where we say, yes, I feel peaceful, I stay calm. So we know how to return there. I don't want to get on a roller coaster and feel calm. I want some excitement, but I don't want to have that degree of excitement when I come back and have to get supper. Doesn't It's not good functioning. Yeah, yeah, that's right? so true. So, I mean, there's so much, and, and we can go in so many different ways, and I have so many different questions about different things. Um, but I think, you know, just knowing that, to, to be conscious of time is is there okay. anything left unsaid anything that you want to make sure that we address just to wrap up for this episode I think we could go on and have a part two potentially uh, <laughs> but for today is there anything left unsaid well there's lots left unsaid but I'll leave you with two two one is as a parent be decide it's okay to be a good enough parent do not aim to be a good parent a perfect parent any of that leave that out and then my, my most favorite quotation of all time is from the philosopher Hillel. If I am not for me, who will be? If I am only for me, what is the point? I love that. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been wonderful learning from you. Uh, I'm sure everyone will find this valuable and, and looking for more. Uh, where would you like people to go if they if they're interested in learning more about you and and reaching out to you or following you where where can people find you solutionsforresilience.com or google patricia morgan calgary perfect and i'll put that in the show notes as well so all all of the information wonderful thanks so much